if you're looking for me, I'm not up there. I'm back here. (laughs) And if you remember anything from this message, I want you to remember this. The world looks to the front to figure out who's important, but God looks to the back. Listen, this message today is uh, not for people who are in a spot where you feel like, man, uh, my life is really important and everybody's looking at me. This message is for the people who feel like there's a gap between where you are and where the people are who matter. And so uh, this message is for somebody who's young and you feel like, man, God has given me a calling and he's put a heat for something on my heart, but it feels like everybody around me is saying, hey man, why don't you just wait your turn? Um, This message is for somebody who's older and you kinda got this creeping feeling in your heart that's like, man, has my time of relevance passed me by because it doesn't seem like anybody's listening to me anymore. Um, This message is for a minority who you never hear these words out loud, but everywhere you go, it feels like a lot of times you catch these silent signals where people are kind of silently saying, hey, your place is in the back because the people who make a real difference in this world, they don't look like you. Um, This message is for the stay-at-home mom who you are knee-deep in diapers and you haven't taken a shower in three days. And you're looking out at all the people who are quote unquote doing great things for God and you're looking at your life and you're going, man, is what I'm doing really even mattering? Um, This message is for the business person who actually you've been really successful and you built something really, really great and you've made a dollar but there's like this creeping question in your heart. I made a dollar but am I actually making a difference? Does my life matter? Um, Today uh, in the series, Didn't See It Coming, Um, We're looking at the challenge, we're just gonna call it this, the challenge of irrelevance. What do you do when it feels like everybody's looking at the front, but it feels like you're all the way in the back, okay? Well, if you got your Bibles, pick up with me in 1 Timothy chapter four. Um, 1 Timothy four, we're gonna be in verse 12, and this passage, this one verse, it was written to a really, really young pastor. Um, We don't know exactly how old he was. We do know that he's probably under the age of 30 when Paul writes this letter to him and he's writing it to him. And our culture is obsessed with youth. The culture that he was in was obsessed with age. And so Paul tells him, he tells him, he was a guy that was really afraid that he didn't matter yet because he wasn't old enough. And here's what Paul says to somebody who was struggling with kind of this creeping feeling of irrelevance. In 1 Timothy 4.12, he tells this young pastor, don't let anyone look down on you because you are young, but instead set an example for the believers in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, and in purity. Now, here's what I'm gonna do. I'm actually gonna preach this message backwards. Here's what I'm gonna do this. When Paul says, don't let anyone look down on you because you're young, what he's saying is there are gonna be times in your life where people and circumstances conspire to make you feel irrelevant. And when he says, don't let anybody do that, what he's saying is, you don't have to opt in when people and circumstances make you feel irrelevant. You don't have to opt into that. And so here's what I wanna do. I wanna preach this message backwards and and preach it like this. I wanna go through, in this passage, three ways that you can opt into irrelevance. Because if we know how to opt in, then we know how to opt out, okay? So I gotta do them quick, all right? Three ways that you can opt in to irrelevance. Here we go, gonna get right at it. Number one, you will opt into irrelevance if you spend your entire life getting your validation from the wrong source. 
You will opt into your relevance if you spend your life getting your validation from the wrong source. So think about how Paul says this. He says, don't let anyone look down on you because you're young. In other words, he, he was saying this to Timothy. He was saying, Timothy, nobody else gets to define your significance. And Lake Point Church, let me just tell you this. You can't let the world define your significance because the world celebrates all the wrong stuff. The world celebrates success. The world celebrates org chart position. The world celebrates the size of your 401k. It celebrates, ladies, the size of your thigh gap. The world celebrates, listen, it celebrates relationship status. Think even about how we say this sometimes. What do we say? We talk about your significant other. Now listen, I don't have any, there's nothing wrong with that term. But you don't have to have an other for you to be significant. Listen, you are significant not because somebody else conveyed significance upon you. That's not how this works. Nobody else gets to define your significance. In fact, I just wanna say this. If you had to have an other for you to be significant, that would mean that Jesus wasn't significant. Jesus died single. Listen, I am not significant because somebody recognized me as significant. I am significant because somebody died for me, somebody created me, and there is someone who lives within me. That's what makes me significant. So listen, what that means is that if people appreciate me, that's awesome. But if they don't, I'm still significant. Listen, if I have a date, great. If I don't, I'm still significant. If you get the job, great. If you don't, you're still significant. If people like you, awesome. Y'all should hang out. If they don't, you're still significant. If I have a thousand followers, thousands of likes on Instagram, awesome. If I don't, there is a blue check mark next to my name in the kingdom of heaven. Listen, you are not significant because somebody else decided you were significant. You are significant because Jesus died on the cross for you and paid that price for you. you listen, you were worth Jesus to God. So don't spend the rest of your life letting other people define your significance. Now here's what I wanna do. I wanna take this passage and kinda of riff on it for a second. And I wanna kinda of ask the question, what would 1 Timothy 4 say if it were written in 2020? Um, so what Paul says in the passage is, don't let anybody look down on you because you're young. We live in the exact opposite type of culture that Timothy lived in. So he lived in a culture that was obsessed with age. We live in a culture that's obsessed with youth. So here's what I wanna do. In the next couple seconds, I need your help. I wanna speak to people in our culture that I think if 1 Timothy 4.12 were written today, it would be written to you. Now, real quick, for everyone else that I'm not getting ready to address, when I address the people that I'm going to address in the next you know, two minutes, those people in the room are gonna be wondering what you think about what I'm saying, and they need to hear how you feel about what I'm saying, all right? So I, I, I'm ready for your applause in the next few minutes so they know how you think about what I'm saying. So let me do this. If 1 Timothy 4 were written today, I think one thing it might say is it might, it might say, don't let anybody look down on you because you are older. I think it might say that. Man, let me just say this to the younger people in the room, like people my generation and down. Guys, you need spiritual fathers and mothers. You need spiritual fathers and mothers. When you're walking through life and you don't know how to do something or how to follow Christ in a certain circumstance, listen, you can do one of two things. If you're raising boys and girls, you could do one of two things. Either you could hop on your favorite news website and read an opinion piece on how to raise boys and girls, or you could hop on social media and watch that or on your favorite television show. 
But hey, hey, wait, newsflash, they can't even figure out what a boy or a girl is, newsflash, okay? Or here's the other thing you could do. You could grab somebody that's 20 or 30 years older than you that's been following Christ for decades, and you could say, hey, can we get coffee? Can I be in your life group? Can we get dinner? Can my wife and I get dinner with you just to learn from you and get wisdom from your decades of following Christ? Learn how to follow someone else as they follow Christ. Now, let me talk to you if you are older. If you're like my generation and up, let me just kind of say this. Hey, senior saints, we need you. We need you. What we don't need in our church or in the church at large right now is we don't need you to step back and kind of go, hey, I've had my season. It's the young people's time to do ministry. No, no, no. We need you right now to invest in us and be the spiritual fathers and mothers for our church that some people in our church did not grow up with. We need you. Now, you may hear that and you may go, man, Josh, that's awesome, but I don't have it all together. Well, I got good news for you. You don't have to be perfect. You just gotta be better than us. Praise God. That's all we need. Well, that's all we need from you. And, and we'll say thank you for your Luby's discount. Thank you so much. So listen, all, uh, that's all we need. Another thing I think 1 Timothy 4 might say if it were written today is it might say, don't let anyone look down on you because your skin is a different color than theirs. Now, now listen, you, you may not think that's really that big of a deal. It is a really big deal. Man, I, I grew up in an area where I heard things like this all the time. Like, hey man, uh, they should just stay over there with their people and we'll stay over here with our people. I actually heard one time somebody say about an interracial marriage in church leadership. I heard somebody out loud say, their kind should just stay with their kind and our kind should just stay with our kind. Guys, think about this. Aren't you glad Jesus Christ didn't stay with his kind when he left the throne room of heaven to become a man and save us here and die on a cross in our place for our sins? Aren't you glad? He didn't do that. So listen, don't let anybody look down on you because your skin is a different color than theirs. We worship a brown-skinned Middle Eastern Savior. Don't let anyone look down on you because your skin is a different color than theirs. Let me say this. Don't let anybody look down on you. I'll just say it because you're a woman. Now, and I'll just kind of say this real quick. Are men different than women? Yes, men are different than women. I came across an article not too long ago that said... Uh, they said that women speak on average 20,000 words per day. 20,000. That's impressive. Guys, the longest paper I wrote in all of college was 15,000 words. I should have just hung out with you and we would have wrote it by dinner. It would have been, it would have been awesome. So 20,000 words a day. Same article said uh, that uh, the average guy speaks about 7,000 words a day. Okay, a little different. Uh, every now and then, Jana cracks me up. Sometimes Jana will come home and she'll be like, Josh, you would not believe what today was like. <laughs> and then she go, what do you think? <laughs> no. <laughs> yeah, that's not. Man, Josh, today was crazy. You know, that's all I got. That's it, man. Men and women are different. But listen, you need to hear this. In the Bible, every spiritual gift that God gives to men in the Bible, he also gives to women. There is a myth in the church. You can applaud for that. There is a myth in the church 
There's a myth in the church sometimes that men ought to be taught deep theology and spiritual leadership and that women need to be taught how to match the curtains with the pillows on their couch and how not to feel sad on a rainy day. One of my favorite Bible teachers is a woman named Elise Fitzpatrick. She points out the fact that a lot of times, if you go to a men's conference, if they're preaching from the book of Ephesians, they'll preach the entire book of Ephesians. But if you go to a women's conference, they'll preach only on Ephesians chapter five, the only chapter that ever gets mentioned, the chapter about how to be a great wife and a great mother. Now listen, we need all of those chapters, and yes, the Bible teaches us how to be great wives and mothers if God has given you that calling. But all of the Bible was written to all of, this, all of the disciples of Jesus Christ. So listen, does the Bible give directives about the, let me just say it like this. Does the Bible give directives about the roles of men and women in marriage in the church? Of course it does. But I did not marry a weak, superficial woman. I am not raising my daughters to be weak, superficial women. And we do not want this church to create them either. Yes, we wanna help ladies be better wives and mothers if that's a role that God has given you. But we are also passionate to see those of you God has called to be leaders become leaders. That was your applause moment right there. That, that was it. So listen, your relevance is not determined by what anybody says about you or how anybody else treats you. Your relevance is determined by the fact that you were worth Jesus to God. Don't spend your entire life getting your validation from the wrong source. Here's the second way you can opt into your relevance. You will opt into your relevance. Let me just read a passage and then I'll show it to you. So in verse seven and eight, right before this passage, what Paul tells Timothy, he says this. He says, rather train yourself for godliness for while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way. Now, now watch this. Here's the second way you can opt into your relevance. Spend your entire life succeeding at the wrong things. Spend your entire life succeeding at the wrong things. Um, I heard a story a couple years ago about a guy named Matt Emmons. It was coming up to the 2004 Olympics that year. And uh, Matt Emmons was a worldwide competitor in what's called the three-position event. That's that weird event where you shoot a rifle from three different positions, first from your feet, then from your knees, then from your stomach. Uh, Matt Emmons was worldwide, it was known that he was the greatest three-position event shooter that had ever lived. In fact, he was so far out in front of all the rest of the competition uh, that a lot of Olympic competitors felt like they coming in that year were really just competing for second place. And as they got to that, uh, that Olympics, it started actually playing out that way. In fact, um, by the time they got to the final round, he was so far ahead of second place that in order to get the gold medal, all he had to do was just hit the target. All he had to do. Now, for you, that might, might sound like a, a big deal. Um, at that level of competition, some of those guys will literally go years of competitive shooting without ever missing a target. So all he has to do to get a gold medal is just hit the target on his final shot. So Matt Emmons came up to his last shot and he lined up the shot and he aimed, aim, aim, fire. Bullseye on the wrong target. He was awarded no points for that final shot he dropped from first place to eighth place and never received an Olympic medal in his entire life. Now listen, that is what some people do with their lives, is they spend their entire lives succeeding and hitting bullseyes, but you're hitting a bullseye on the wrong target. 
And by doing that, you're opting into irrelevance. This is somebody who spends their entire life and they hit the bullseye of their career, but they miss the target of their calling. They hit the target of making a dollar, but they miss the target of making a difference. They hit the target of building up the kingdom of self and elevating their name and then becoming famous, but they miss the bullseye of lifting up the name of Jesus and elevating the kingdom of God and Jesus becoming famous. Listen, let me, let me help you out. This passage I'm getting ready to read, it's in 1 Corinthians 3. This passage has helped me personally just identify in my life what targets are worth hitting and which ones are worth passing on. This is what I said, listen really close. 1 Corinthians 3, 10 through 14. He says, but each one should build with care for no one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid, which is Jesus Christ. If anyone builds on this foundation, now listen to the list of these uh, materials. Using gold, silver, costly stones, and then it switches, wood, hay, or straw. Their work will be shown for what it is because the day will bring it to light. It will be revealed with fire, and the fire will test the quality of each person's work. If what has been built survives, the builder will receive a reward. Now let me explain that. There is coming a day when Christ Jesus will return and he will judge the living and the dead. And he'll judge us believers based on what we did with our lives, based on what we did that built up the name of Jesus and what didn't. And it's almost as if the Bible gives this analogy that everything we've ever done with our lives, everything we invested in, everything we built, everything we gave energy to, everything we, we constructed, it, it's as if it'll pass through a fire and the things that won't last in eternity will just be burned away and come to nothing. And the only things that will last are the things that built up the name of Jesus Christ that glorified God and did good for people. Now here's the question that I wanna ask you, the question that can help you figure out, man, am I opting into irrelevance by hitting a bullseye on the wrong target? Here's the question. Will what I'm building last in eternity? That's the question. Will what I'm building last in eternity? Now really quick, let me talk about what this doesn't mean. What this doesn't mean is that everybody needs to quit their normal jobs and go get ministry jobs. That's not what this means. In fact, all throughout the Bible what we see is that there were people with normal, quote unquote, sometimes people will call them secular vocations that did incredible things for the glory of God. Abraham was in agriculture. Daniel was a high level political leader. Joseph was in finance. A woman named Lydia in the New Testament was in the fashion industry. Luke was a physician. Rahab was a working girl. <laughs> See what I'm saying? There were people who did amazing things for the kingdom of God from their secular vocations. Now, here's what this means, is you might not need to do something different with your life. What you need to do is maybe do the same thing with kingdom intentionality. That's what you need to do. So man, build that business and use it to better people's lives as image bearers of God. In fact, maybe you don't need to take a job that makes less money that's like a ministry job. Maybe you need to figure out a way to make more money and invest it in kingdom advancing purposes. Man, yes, mom those children and raise disciples. Man, a lot of you guys have to understand, the greatest thing that you accomplish may not be something you do, it may be somebody that you raise. Just keep doing it with gospel intentionality. 
advance that career and do it well for the glory of God and be a workplace witness where you are. These are the things that we need to do. So is what I'm building going to last into eternity or am I opting into irrelevance by hitting a bullseye on the wrong target? Okay, now here's number three, number, third way to opt into irrelevance. You can opt into irrelevance if you spend your entire life living by fear instead of by faith. You know, there's something we know about Timothy. We know that Timothy's besetting sin, the thing that he struggled with the most, is he was a guy that struggled with fear. Um, we know this from three different places. When Paul sends Timothy to a church as a messenger in the book of Acts, um, he tells that church, don't let anyone look down on Timothy when he comes. In other words, Timothy had that insecurity. Um, we've got this passage where Paul tells Timothy, don't let anybody look down on you because you're young. Timothy was afraid of what people would think about him if he tried to step forward into his calling. And then in 2 Timothy chapter one, Paul tells Timothy, hey man, we have not been given a spirit of fear, but a spirit of power, love, and a sound mind. So we know that Timothy's besetting sin was fear. I'll take it even further. Did you know that the most commanded thing in the Bible is some form of do not fear? 366 times in the Bible, God commands do not fear. Now let me ask this question. Why is that the number one most often repeated command in the entire Bible? Well, here's why. Because what is most likely to keep you from what God has for you is not enemies or obstacles outside of you, but fear inside of you. That's the only thing that can keep you from fulfilling the calling that God has given you. Not enemies or obstacles outside of you. It's fear inside of you. So let me ask this question. What would it look like for you to step out this year in God-glorifying, self-sacrificing courage? What would that look like? Man, a couple years ago, I read a book called Courage, the Backbone of Leadership. It was by a military leader, a guy named Gus Lee. And he, uh, in one chapter, he described his time at West Point and what that was like. And he described a, a really interesting encounter when General Norman Schwarzkopf came and lectured to his class of cadets at West Point. And he writes this about Norman Schwarzkopf coming into his class at West Point. This is what he says. He says, I was dumb as a pulled stump, but I knew that he was a great man the most highly decorated combat veteran of the most controversial war in Vietnam and one of the largest, smartest, and most intimidating men I'd ever met. I would have listened attentively if he'd have said he was gonna teach us how to open a can of pop. He said there came a moment where General Schwarzkopf stepped forward and he began to address the class. He looked out at the classroom of cadets and with wide eyes and intensity, he said, cadets, imagine that you and your troops for which you are responsible are on an international border. The enemy can cross it and strike you with impunity, but you can't cross the border. That order comes from the commander in chief himself. Every night, the enemy crosses the border to kill and wound your men, who are Vietnamese airborne volunteers in your care. And every night you chase the enemy, but they escape at the border where you stop as you are ordered. Here's the question. When the enemy hits you again tonight, do you pursue them over the line or do you follow orders and halt at the border? And then he looked out at the class of cadets and he said, questions. One cadet raised his hand and he said, question number one, if we cross it, will we start a new war? General Schwarzkopf said, no. Another cadet raised his hand, second question, if we cross it, can we destroy the enemy? General Schwarzkopf said, yes. Third cadet raised his hand and he said, if we cross it and are discovered, will we get in big trouble? 
General Schwarzkopf stepped forward towards the cadet and said, absolutely, your president will be very displeased with you personally. There were no more questions in the class. General Schwarzkopf looked out and he said, gentlemen, stop or go, right. And then Gus Lee says this, he says, I thought the answer was pretty obvious. If I'd learned one thing here is that you follow orders, especially from the president. Right from wrong, disobeying the president would be very wrong. So I wrote, stop. When the last pencil dropped, Norman Schwarzkopf said, how many said stop? I raised my hand and so did most of the class. And then General Schwarzkopf looked back out and he said, how many said go? About three cadets raised their hand. The major smiled at the few hands and then he said this. There are two kinds of people in the world, leaders and careerists. Leaders have character. They act for what is right. They would die for their men. Careerists are self-centered, self-absorbed. They act out of selfishness. They will sacrifice their men for a promotion. They lie to pump up results. They save their skins instead of others. Careerists can't really lead because their men do not trust them and will not willingly follow. The correct answer for a leader is clear. You cross the border, you destroy the enemy to protect your men, you then take personal consequences to your career, knowing that you violated an order but you acted for what was right. You feel pride in getting court-martialed for being, and, and being reduced to a private. And then he said this, everyone's a leader or isn't. It's not rank, it's character. Now here's my question to you. Are you on a self-preservation mission fueled by fear or are you on a God-glorifying mission fueled by faith? Every person everywhere has to ask that question. What if the year 2020 was the year you said, man, I'm gonna cut my losses. I'm gonna, sacri- I'm gonna throw it all into the wind. No matter the cost, I'm gonna go for it for the glory of God and the good of people and the advance of the name of Jesus Christ. What if 2020 was that year? Now, here's what I know. As soon as I say that, what I know is there's a lot of you who go, man, Josh, like, that's just not me. Like you don't know what I've done, you don't know who I am, you don't know my weakness, you don't know my limitations. Let me just say this, if you're saying that, here's all I have to say, have you seen God's draft board? Like have you read your Bible? Guys, God drafts like the Houston Texans. I mean it's like a kicker in the fifth round, are you kidding me, he just, he's constantly picking the wrong people. So let me just kinda say it to you like this, if you were a valedictorian, a prom king, top of your class, captain of the team, beauty queen, I got good news for you. God can use you too. He can use you too. You're just not his first pick. That's just not what he does. Man, you read the Bible and you see God's draft board. Here's here's God's draft board. Noah was a drunk, Jacob was a thief and a liar, Joseph was a convict, Moses was a murderer, Samson was a bully, Gideon was a coward, David was an adulterer, Solomon was a womanizer. Elijah was fearful, Jonah was a racist, Jeremiah was depressed, Mary was a pregnant teenager, Peter was a hypocrite, Matthew was bad with money, Thomas was a doubter, Paul was a terrorist, Tim Tebow played for the Florida Gators. God can use anybody. He can use anybody. He can use anybody. So let me just say this, man, what's your excuse What is your excuse for just stepping forward in God-glorifying faith and saying, this is the year that I am gonna be used by God? Here's what I want us to do. This is actually a really straightforward message. So um, I found this really helpful for me in my personal time with the Lord. And will you do this? Will you just stretch out your hands like this in front of you? Right now in your seat, both hands out in front of you, palms up, as if to say, man, it's a prayer of offering. God, I'm, I'm releasing everything I am, everything I have to you. 
And if you close your eyes, I just want you to pray this out loud with me. When I say a sentence, you say that sentence out loud just as, as a prayer to God. Pray out loud, palms up to God right now. Just pray, God, I'm all in. I believe in Jesus. I believe in his word. He died for my sin. I wanna live my life for your glory. In Jesus' name, let's put our hands together and say amen. Amen, amen, amen.